with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's show, we'll talk about China's Caixin Services PMI eased to 53.9 in June, remaining in expansion territory for the sixth straight month. And we will also take a look at the global de-dollarization trend. And now let's begin with our top story. China's Caixin Services PMI is to 53.9 in June, still comfortably above the 50-point benchmark, which indicates expansion in activity. In the meantime, sub-indices show that the continued recovery in export orders and employment, as well as improved market confidence. In the same month, Caixin Manufacturing PMI, which tracks factory activities among small and mid-sized companies, came in at 50.5. So, what are the signals behind these indicators, and what's the current state of the Chinese economy? For more on this, join us on the line now, are Liu Baocheng, professor with the University of International Business and Economics, Andy Mark, senior research fellow at the Center for China and Globalization, and also Michael Powers, Zurich Insurance Group professor of risk and finance at Tsinghua University. So, Michael, first of all, the Caixin survey of China's services sector showing activity continue to recover, but at a slower pace due to softer than expected demand. So, how do you read into the June's overall numbers? My my view of them is that generally speaking, as you've indicated, they're in sort of positive territory.、Um, they're consistent with an expanding economy. However,、um, the economy、um, is possibly somewhat Cooler than、um, cooler than expected,、um, especially with regard to the smaller、um, and mid-sized companies, which have a lower index. I, I think that、um, it's correct to say that、uh, much of this has been caused by a somewhat softening of co- consumer demand, and I think that、um, going forward into the second half of the year, that's really what we need to look at. Um, in, e- in order to see、uh, just how much、um, expansion will continue this year.、Mm. And Andy, so how, despite the slower expansion in services sector activity, optimism for the next twelve months strengthens? So, what do you think are the main reasons for that? Well, I think first of all, Zhao Yang, the、uh, this number, the China services PMI, is seen as one of the earliest leading indicators. So, I think this is. Uh, a good sign, I think, as Michael said, that it is in positive territory, even though it's、uh, it's slowed down a bit.、Uh, the other thing to point out too is that services are an increasingly important part of China's economy. I think it's almost sixty percent、uh, of of total GDP. So、uh, this is an important number. Good to pay attention to it.、Uh, the key word, I think, as you touched on, though, is confidence, consumer confidence in particular. And we know that、uh, certainly because of COVID,、uh, the overall global picture as well,、uh, that consumer confidence in China is not as strong as it historically has been. And I think this is one of the most important、uh, things to watch、uh, as we track what happens in 2023 for the Chinese economy.、Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to say about this too is that. 
even though we are seeing a slight softening here, uh, the overall number still looks to be about 5% uh, annual GDP growth in 2023, which would account for about a third of global growth. So, uh, you know, I think there's some reasons for concern, um, but I think also uh, the picture might not be as gloomy as some might think. Mm. So, Baochang, what are you going to be specifically looking out for in order to gauge the strength and momentum of China's economic recovery? Oh, globally, we can see that uh, the uh, economic rebound is not as rosy as some has uh, expected after the pandemic. And uh, particularly, you can see that uh, this uh, slow move uh, is uh, largely due to the uh, global order that is uh, uh, being on the decrease side. So the uh, you are really quoting the Caixin uh, PMI. Actually, the Chinese uh, official statistics is even lower uh, than that. That shows uh, on one side, as uh, Andy has mentioned about the consumer confidence, the, uh, on the other, I think more immediately, it is really the producer's confidence, and particularly on the private sectors, that is not completely recovered. And uh, the economic growth uh, was uh, more of the state-owned enterprises through the fixed asset investment. Uh, the long-term profitability may not really uh, be there to help the immediate picture at the moment. So therefore, uh, it is now uh, the top focus to give the right type of policy to those private investors so that they can really uh, play on equal footing and with more of the access to financial liquidity from the state-owned banks. So uh, because they are there to cater not only to economic growth, but more importantly to the unemployment issues. Mm -hmm. And Michael, so right now, domestic market of China is expecting more stimulus policies on macro level. So what do you think those policies could be? And when do you think that policy support would be in the second half of this year? Or is it going to be more on the monetary or fiscal side? I think that that's a very good question and certainly a very important question. Um, I believe at, at the moment there, there's much more room um, for stimulus on the fiscal side. I, inflation is, is very low by um, some measures. Perhaps people actually use the term uh, deflation. Um, and the Chinese yuan is trading at uh, close to a 10-year low against the U.S. dollar. So I would expect um, some sort of targeted fiscal stimulus, uh, through, possibly through tax reductions, and I would expect to see it apply both to certain classes of individuals, uh, those that are most likely to, to take the additional funds and, and spend them, uh, resulting in increased consumer demand. But also, I, I would expect to see some, um, some support for corporations, especially small companies, um, that are most likely to be interested in, in hiring research, recent college graduates. Hmm. Uh, on the monetary side, there, there okay. may be some um, there may be some activity, um, it, primarily in the form of targeted loans um, for perhaps private private companies. Again, smaller firms uh, that are more likely to hire uh, young people hmm. in, in this current economy. Mm. So, Andy, so what do you think about the policy support? Is it going to be more on the monetary or fiscal side? Well, I think that we shouldn't look at this as a purely binary 
phenomenon, meaning we can only choose one or the government can only choose one. I think a coordinated uh, response will be very important. Mm. Um, you know, of course, as Michael said, uh, not only is inflation low in China, but interest rates are low as well. So I think, uh, you know, this is uh, a net positive um, that allows some flexibility for greater monetary uh, support. So, Bao Cheng, actually, Chinese Premier Li Qiang recently said at Summer Davos Forum that China is expected to achieve this year's economic growth target of around 5%, with the growth in the second quarter to surpass that in the first quarter. So, from your perspective, what are the most important parts to reach that target? And where should be the focus of China's economic efforts in the next stage? Well, to respond to your first question, uh, uh, with regard to stimulus to consumption, I do not think uh, any of that uh, really worked to a great deal because uh, it is really the spending power and earning power of those people but uh, uh, that really matters. So the uh, to provide the right type of job security and the right type of uh, prospect for them to continue to earn uh, the right type of income, uh, well, with regard to the uh, economic growth in the first quarter, we achieved uh, 4.5, uh, which is not really easy because uh, if you look at the world, IMF uh, says that uh, this year uh, the entire world is going to achieve 1.7, uh, which is very pessimistic. But, uh, uh, you know, given the low base of uh, last year, which, is, which was 3%, it is not really very much difficult to achieve more than 5% growth. IMF predicted 5.2, so that's uh, an easier target. But more importantly is uh, uh, you know, how we can really give a more sustainable momentum to the economic growth. Now, uh, China is doing uh, two uh, positive things. One is really to build a unified market by eliminating more of the regional barriers. And this is something that can really ability of all economic resources and uh, that can reduce the uh, substantially the cost of business across different regions, something that is utterly important in institutional exchange. The institutional reform uh, uh, by adopting more of the international norms, and by leveraging more of the global uh, management and governance, etc., so this gave uh, also a very strong signal to uh, the global investors into China. So uh, now, uh, right, the right tonality towards you know economic growth and towards so supporting private business uh, entrepreneurship are really there, uh, are getting uh, stronger. So this are, uh, these are really the fundamental changes uh, towards a more positive growth prospect. Mm. So Andy, so talking about the momentum of China's economy, so what's your view on the digital economy's role as a driver in China's uh, future growth? Well, I think certainly uh, the digital economy will be very, very important. And within the digital economy, there's a lot of attention and excitement. And concern around AI. So the ability of AI to, on the one hand, improve productivity, but also 
Uh, there are concerns on what it might do in terms of disrupting the labor market. Um, but I want to go back uh, to what Bao Cheng said, what I think is an excellent point that des deserves a little bit more uh, emphasis and elaboration is that, yes, I think in the short term, uh, uh, certain uh, short-term fixes, uh, whether that's in real estate, uh, whether that's vouchers, uh, are useful, but also uh, structural reforms such as uh, the dual circulation strategy uh, to reduce domestic barriers uh, to manufacturing distribution and consumption really is the solution for sustainable long-term growth. And again, I think we see progress being made here and this is not only good for domestic businesses, but for foreign businesses looking to access the Chinese market as well. So I think definitely uh, this is an important development in parallel mm. uh, with advances in the digital economy and artificial intelligence in particular. Mm. And Andy, also from the perspective of those entrepreneurs, what does the escalating competition between China and the U.S. mean for them? And do you think such ties between the world's largest two economies may reshape the mindset of entrepreneurs in the long run? And that's an excellent point, Zhaoyang. Um, so the other, I think, very important area that can promote sustainable growth for China is a more harmonious international environment, not just relations with the U.S., but with uh, the European Union as well. And if some of these political challenges uh, can be overcome, uh, this certainly, I think, will increase consumer confidence and business confidence in China, uh, will encourage more entrepreneurs to either start businesses or expand their businesses. So. Uh, clearly, this is an important uh, area to keep an eye on with uh, especially uh, Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen uh, coming to China, um, you know, is uh, is something else I think we should keep an eye on in trying to better understand what's going to happen with the economy. Mm. So, Bao Chen, do you agree with Andy on that? Oh, definitely, because um, particularly when you mentioned about the young entrepreneurship, they are uh, born in a global time and therefore... Uh, by uh, playing on a global playground, and they have to leverage resources uh, uh, and also ideas from uh, all over the world, particularly from the United States and Europe. So therefore, to shape a more harmonious relationship, uh, they, that can really help the, uh, to cater more of the access to uh, all the economic uh, support, be it finance, be it new ideas, be it, uh, you know, a partnership, et cetera. So uh, that can really help a great deal. And right now we do see a de-escalation of the tension across the Pacific because both sides see that, uh, you know, the trade war or any type of sanctions uh, won't really work for uh, their own national interest. So therefore, this is really a uh, positive news, but at the moment, to uh, boost more of the direct flight uh, all across the world, particularly between China and the United States, is something that is there to uh, promote the people's people-to-people uh, -people interaction, and that can also help the uh, type of uh, entrepreneurship. Mm. The, uh, the other issue is that uh, how we can really uh, bring those entrepreneurs across the globe uh, to, to work together, for example, I've been uh, in some of the training programs 
you know, uh, between Chinese youngsters versus Russian youngsters and uh, Israeli youngsters. I think these are really uh, important on the uh, front line so that they can see uh, the where is really the future and where are those potential resources they can tap into and where are those global partners, uh, they can really work together hand in hand. Mm. And Michael, we are seeing the urban unemployment rate at 5.2% uh, in May, but it is now the graduation season. So how is the outlook looking like for the young graduates? I think the situation is somewhat difficult uh, at the moment. Um, it's also uh, rather complex. I, I don't think that one can say that this is simply uh, the result of a cooling uh, of the domestic economy at the moment, and therefore uh, there's an increase in unemployment. I think that there are a number of factors involved. Um, we do have to go back to the COVID period. Um, during that, that period, those, those few years, uh, there were many college graduates who, um, upon grad graduating, um, could not find appropriate um, jobs for, for their training be simply because uh, the economy was rather weak at the time, and so they were, became um, under, somewhat underemployed and continued to look for jobs in, in the workplace. So they are a source of additional competition for this year's graduates. Mm -hmm. um, in addition, I, I think that we do have an increasingly well-educated uh, student body. Uh, so upon graduation, they're looking for uh, the best jobs they can find appropriate for for their level of training and um, and that's difficult because um, the 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 level of um, of of training the 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 quality the the orientation that they've been receiving in um, recent years has been um, rapidly increasing and it, it's hard for the economy in some ways to keep up with that and and finally and i think that all of these things are somewhat tied together but finally um, there seems to be a reluctance on the part of many graduates um, to become involved in um, small, innovative entrepreneurial firms. Mm. Uh, there isn't the same sort of a glamour or cachet associated with it that perhaps there was in, in previous years or, or, or um, for example, uh, there, as there might be in the United States where, where many college graduates would, would rather say they're part of a startup even if they have a very low income than um, work in a, in a more stable environment with a higher income. I, I think that in China, uh, the culture is somewhat different. And uh, recent graduates would rather take stable positions and avoid uh, the perceived risk associated with the smaller firms. So I, I think that this, this, last, um, this last issue is, is quite important and something that needs to go into thinking and planning about um, expanding the economy in the second half of the year and, and subsequent years. Mm. And Bao Cheng, so as we talk about the high unemployment among those youngsters, uh, China actually is projecting nearly 30 million manufacturing jobs going unfulfilled by the year 2025. So is there a mismatch really between the education that young people are seeking and the jobs that are being very much needed in the manufacturing sector? Now, there are a number of problems that are uh, pumps into a double jeopardy uh, for today because, uh, uh, as Michael has mentioned, there has been a lot of graduates from last year that are still in the uh, waiting list. And because some of the employers uh, do not really uh, deliver their promise uh, because of the ill 
uh, profitability. And so uh, that's one thing now. Uh, now we are seeing more than 10 million graduates are swamping the market. So that's really a double jeopardy. And uh, uh, as you mentioned, the mismatch between uh, the knowledge they learn uh, with the right type of skills that are required by the employers uh, is, is also a uh, major problem. And so the uh, because of the Chinese culture, every parent want their children to uh, get master degree, get PhD degree, and to be a good scholar, etc. And then the first choice for most of the graduates are really going to the public service. Actually, uh, it's there to have a stable job. And uh, so this is not really uh, something that can be really changed uh, in a very near future. So to join the uh, smaller firms or to, to join a startup company is the way to go. But uh, uh, many of them are really hesitant. They really want more of the stability and job security instead of uh, going for a dynamic but unstable uh, career. You know, the uh, many of those uh, uh, fresh graduates, they, they choose to go further study. Mm. So, Michael, what's your suggestions to the young graduates? Um, my, my suggestion to the young graduates is that they, um, they maintain high standards and high aspiration. And what we should be maybe focused on is ways to encourage them um, to, to get involved in the smaller, uh, medium-sized, more innovative um, firms. Government can provide support for, for these types of smaller firms in, in the private sector so that they will hire more of these graduates. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Michael Powers, Zurich Insurance Group Professor of Risk and Finance at Tsinghua University, Liu Baocheng, Professor with the University of International Business and Economics, and also Andy Mark, Senior Research Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. And after a short break, we'll take a look at the global de-dollarization trend. Stay with us. D-Dive, a podcast of CGT Radio. Go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. I am Dan Wang. Chief Economist of Hang Seng Bank, China. The World Today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. Welcome, I'm Ilaf Elard economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. 
You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. For the first time, Argentina has used the Chinese currency RMB to settle part of its debt with the International Monetary Fund. Argentina's central bank also announced it would allow financial institutions to use the Chinese yuan as a currency for deposits by individuals and legal entities. So, Michael, why does Argentina want to deepen the use of yuan and reduce its dependence on the U.S. dollar? Do you think the probably the principal reasons um, at the moment have to do with their their current economic um, conditions, uh, their difficulty um, raising raising U.S. dollars, the the, the greater openness of um, of Chinese Chinese lenders and investors. Um, but I think that there also is a longer term trend. Um, and that is for not just for Argentina, but for other countries around the world to try to reduce their dependency on the U.S. dollar uh, because of uncertainties associated with it. Uh, most recently, of course, there's the, the high inflation in the United States, um, and that was then um, targeted or that was combated by the um, by the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank by raising interest rates, which made things difficult in terms of of borrowing um, dollars, and, and I think that that kind of instability is, is damaging to countries around the world, and they would like to um, reduce uh, it, its possible impact on them. And I, I think also looking back a little farther in time uh, to the the sanctions that were imposed by the United States and the EU on Russia, um, I, I think that they they saw that the United States and the EU together uh, perhaps have too much economic power. And that someday um, this power could be used in a way that would be um, disadvantageous to them. So again, they would want to reduce um, dependency on the dollar. So in some, um, I think that their 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 reasons at the moment are are perhaps very local in time, but that there are underlying trends um, that that encourage countries to move away from dollar dependency. Mm. What does the de-dollarization trend mean for the global financial system? Well, it means that there is, I guess, a problem in need of a solution, um, in the sense that um, the the U.S. dollar is the dominant currency; it's the dominant reserve currency around the world. It, it has been for for many decades. Um, recently, this this has gone down somewhat, but it still remains um, a, a, the 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 predominant player in that area. So the question is then. If you don't want to use U.S. dollars primarily or even exclusively in some cases, what are your alternatives? I think that um, the BRICS nations um, are a likely source of action and movement on this front. In other words, these are these are large nations um, that um, individually and collectively have an interest in establishing a. Uh, New uh, or an adjusted world financial order that's somewhat less dependent on the United States and, and the U.S. dollar. Well, that was Michael Powers, Zurich Insurance Group Professor of Risk and Finance at Tsinghua University. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.